Welcome to PRN, Pause, Renew, Next, a podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and friends, it's been a few months. We took the summer off, but I am so very glad to be back with you today to kick off season six of the Pause, Renew, Next podcast. You know, if you've been listening long, that usually we don't have any themes on this podcast, but this year I feel like the Lord gave me a very clear theme and that is tell your story. So in season six of this podcast, we are gonna be looking at a lot of different kinds of stories. We are gonna be talking to storytellers. We're gonna be talking to guests who share their own stories. We're gonna be looking at stories in scripture. And you know, as a licensed counselor, we've gotta go a little bit into the counseling field. We're also gonna take a good look at our own stories. So that's all that you have to look forward to in the coming weeks and months. And it is such a joy to kick off the podcast with a fabulous guest. Her pen name is T.I. Lowe, and boy, is she a storyteller. If you've read her books, Under the Magnolias, or her latest one, Indigo Isle, you'll know her by T.I. Lowe, but her given name is Tanya. And it was such a joy to sit down and talk to her. We talked about all kinds of things, from motherhood to how she began her writing journey, to the culture of the South, to horticulture issues that come up in her book, to the faith elements of her writing. You guys, this is such a good conversation, and I hope you stick around for the whole thing. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. Well, Tanya, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you. Would you like to share a little bit about yourself with the listeners, whatever you'd like people to know about you? Yeah. Well, thank you, Jenny, for inviting me. Um, most of you may uh, know me as T.I.L.O. That's what I go with, go by on my book covers, but um, you're welcome to call me Tanya. I'm from South Carolina. Um, I write inspirational Southern fiction. I'm not sure if you can tell that I'm Southern, but <laughs> <laughs> I am just a little bit. And um, I just released my 19th book under the our Indigo Isle. And let me get them all mixed up here. But uh, uh, I have two children. Uh, they're not children anymore. They're grown. Uh, 17-year-old Lydia, she graduates high school this year, breaking my heart. And my son, Nathan, just graduated college. And I've been married for 26 years. So um, basically all I am is stay at home. You know, mom comes first. And I, God's blessed me for the last nine years to do my hobby for a living. And that's writing. Oh, what a blessing. That's really cool. Same. Well, I'm a part-time licensed professional counselor, but mom mom comes first. Mm -hmm. And then I do counseling as well. That is also my passion and I love it. But yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's what I had thought about doing before. Um, I took two years of psychology in college, didn't finish my degree, but that's where I was heading for counseling. I think the world needs plenty of those. (laughs) So uh, that's awesome. That leads us into a question I'm going to have for you later, because you write about mental health in your books, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and then to podcasting. I do that on the side as well. It's it's fun. I love talking to people. So I do that in all the facets, I guess. But So when do you sleep? Ah, that's a good question. <laughs> Speaking of self-care, I am trying to fit that in, in my, in my life. That's hard to do as a mama. Yes. Yeah, yeah. it is for sure. Okay, so I read on your website a little bit about your story about how you began writing, but 19 books is a lot. 
I mean, how yeah. often, how many books are you writing a year to be able to get that many out? Well, in the beginning, it was probably three, about three okay. a year, but it slowed down now. I began self-publishing and um, it was like a fire was lit when I finally gave in to uh, my calling to write. And then um, I eventually signed with an agent and now I'm traditionally published And the traditional publishing world is a lot slower paced getting books out. Um, I have published 19, but I believe I've written, I want to say 26 now. 25, 26, somewhere in there. I'm always uh, finishing a story, starting another story, uh, publicizing another story. So there's a lot of stories out there. Yeah. It's hard to keep up. Yeah. I'm just, I'm always so fascinated about this because I love listening to people's stories, but I don't feel like I come up with them inside of myself. They're usually based on, I don't know, things I'm already hearing or listening to. How do your stories get developed? And I recently saw you. Um, talk about that it comes up all the time, even when you're washing cars, which is hilarious. But like, yeah, how do these stories <laughs> pop into your head? Well, sometimes it um, it's normally almost always something I want to understand better. Uh, Lulu's Cafe was my first book. And that came from a, a place where uh, my family, my mother and I were talking actually in a chemo lab. Uh, my mom had was going through chemo. And at the time, it was back in 2011, 2012, um, a loved one was in an abusive relationship. And I didn't understand why she wouldn't just leave the guy, just be done with it. You know, I'm, I'm a stubborn woman. And in my mind, that's all you needed to do. But my mom said, Tanya, you'll never understand unless you walk in an abused woman's shoes. And so that's what I set out to do. I started doing research, um, listening to other women's testimonies. Sometimes it was family members of the woman that didn't um, survive the abuse she was in. And in that, it was, it's become, from even the get-go, with Lulu's Cafe and own, that's my, the writing's my process of understanding something better. So that Lulu's Cafe uh, follows an abused woman's journey of getting out of that situation. And um, um, like Under the Magnolias, when you talked about uh, mental illness, uh, that was back in 2019, and the inspiration for that book came from the, there was headlines I kept seeing. It was either you know the the Yahoo news page or Facebook, and it was where prominent men in the community was committing suicide. And there was youth pastors, you know, prominent men. And my question was, and what you know broke my heart is why did they feel like they were in a point in their life that they couldn't reach out for help? And so that started a whole process of researching that, and it led to bipolar or mental illness. And um, so, and then I just dove deep into bipolar disorder, and that's where Under the Magnolias began. That was me explaining, uh, wanting to understand mental illness better and to share that story. And hopefully, and another thing I want with these books is I want more conversations, you know, started from these uh, topics that I write about. Yeah, I'm wondering what kind of feedback you get about that because your latest one, Indigo Isle, which by the way, I finished I think in about 24 hours because you're such oh, a wow. good storyteller. Oh, thank Loved you. It. And and you fall in love with the characters, you know. But it did touch on sexual abuse, which is mm-hmm. a hard topic as well. Yeah. And I wonder with your readers if you get much feedback from people as you're writing about these hard and gritty subjects. Yeah, um 
Under the Magnolias was um, nominated for, it was a finalist for a Christie Award last year, which, you know, was a huge honor. And uh, recently I spoke with a writer's group and they said, well, what other reward or awards has your books received? I said, every time someone emails me, that's my reward. Every time someone shares their story with me, that's my reward. It is, um, yes, it's an honor to be nominated for for the Christie or the Carol or any kind of award, but mine is when I, readers are touched by my stories and then they in in turn share their stories with me. So I will tell you one that this this one was probably the most I, all of them are moving and I have this file folder with these emails in them and um, I often go back to them and reflect, especially if I want to be speaking to someone and I can share. You know, I never share the names of anyone that reached out to me, but one night one one day I, I opened my email and this woman said, I want to thank you for um, Lulu's Cafe. Um, she said, I have a really hard time at night. I don't I don't rest well at night. This got me through the night reading your story of Lulu's Cafe. And come to find out this woman was a survivor of human trafficking. Her mom sold her at age six for drugs. And she was in, she was uh, trapped in this world until she was 23, you know, when she, before she was um, taken out of that. And um, just, I got to know her through emails exchange and everything else. And she told me her story and it just blew me away. And, it, you know, it was very humbling that here, this, this is a fictional book, Lulu's Cafe, and it could touch someone like that um, in such a big way. It was quite um humbling and then uh with you know just different ones like uh, the main thing was you told my story in this book or um this you know this was something I've gone through in my life and you showed me you know I've been running from God because I was mad at him for what I've been through but you showed me through his grace that I can come back to him and so that's my reward for sure oh that is amazing how rewarding yeah. yeah, you don't expect to get those kind of emails, no doubt. No. That's uh -uh. amazing. Mm -hmm. You never know the fruit of what you're doing. It's very cool. So you begin to touch just a little bit on the story with your mom, but can you share a little bit about what, what led you into writing, like the writing journey? Yeah. Um, so people will say, well, when do you know, did you know you were a writer? And I think I knew from the, you know, from the get go, um, I'm from the South, and so I've been raised around storytellers. You know, if you want to know something simple, we have to tell a whole story around it. And then, you know, like grandparents sitting on the front porch with your glass of sweet tea and listening to the good old days. And um, so I just feel like it's always been in my root system, storytelling. But, um, you know, I'm from a little small town in South Carolina where, uh, to me, uh, the dream of becoming a writer was too big. I didn't think I could reach that goal. And so um, I always kept it hidden. I remember back in middle school, I'd write my own uh, little short stories in Spiral Bound Notebook. And uh, the passion was always there, but I never, I never shared it with many people that I wanted to do it. I remember my senior year of high school, I finally told my best friend, Christy, I said, one of these days, I want to write a book. And she said, yeah. You do one of these days? I said, yeah. She says, well, one of these days, I want to win the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> so we both thought we were dreaming too big. And uh, 
So I just put that dream away. Another dream I had was to have a family of my own. I come from a broken family. Uh, we had a really tough childhood. Um, and I always wanted my own family. Um, I often say, I tell people, I had this fan, this good friend of mine. Her family went to church. My family did not. And they weren't a perfect family, but they seemed to always have this peace about them. And I, I said, one, you know, that's what I want for my family one day. And God granted it. Um, me and my husband both, uh, young, in our younger 20s, we gave our life to God. And, you know, before we started our family, we got on track there. And then God blessed us with Nathan. And then five years later, Lydia. And um, I was I was very, I was happily content being a stay-at-home mom. We made sacrifices that, you know, I could be there for all the milestones. But then Lydia started kindergarten. And the year she started kindergarten, sweet little thing, she said, Mama, now that you've grown up, what are you going to be? You know, in her <laughs> mind, <laughs> it was time, you know, so I had to make a decision too. And I prayed about it, Jenny, and I didn't know if, you know, should I go back and finish my degree in psychology and pursue counseling? And because I wanted to help people no matter what it was, or should I substitute teach? Because that way I'd stay on the kid's schedule and no answer came. And we we're like, all right, God, what do you want me to do? I can't just sit home twiddling my thumbs while the kids are at school. But he knew because a month later, my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. And so the next three years was the journey of helping. Well, you know, I feel like it's it was the hardest three years of my life, but the most um, I'd give nothing for it, getting to be her caregiver, spending all that time with her. And through that, um, like I said, her and I had that conversation during chemo one day about the loved one that was in that a relationship. And then I started sharing bits and pieces with her that I was writing this story. And she said, Tony, one of these days you have to share it. And I said, one day, mama, but right now we're focusing on you. And even uh, near the end, when the hospice nurse came in, she said, this is my daughter, Tanya. She's an author. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not an author. I'm just, you know, but uh, she, she, it was like she was determined I was going to pursue this. And so she passed away September 2013. And then um, after several months of grieving come January, I published Lulu's Cafe to keep that promise to her. And that was going to be it. I did it. You know, I kept that promise. But then after that, all these stories started pouring out and people, you know, as a writer, when you write these stories, they're very personal. And um, I was scared to death to share, share it with the world because, you know, I just thought it was mine. And I've had to come to learn that as long as it's on my computer and I'm writing the story, it's mine. But as soon as I hit send to send it to the publisher, it's no longer my story. It's the world's story. And that took quite a while to get used to. People are out there reading something I wrote. I mean, how bizarre is that? <laughs> but um it, it, and it all come from there. You know, I had no formal uh, education in writing. I, I just storytell. And I tell people, I write how I speak. So if you're not into the Southern vernacular, I might not be your cup of tea. But um, I feel like it's more relatable and more like a conversation that way. And that's just the style that I pick. But that's that's pretty much my writing journey so far. That is amazing. It sounds like all the pieces came together right when, right when they needed to happen. It did. And what a legacy that your mom got to be a part of all of it. That's yeah. very cool. So speaking of Southern roots, I'm in North Carolina. You're in South Carolina. So, yeah. And I grew up in Georgia. 
So mm-hmm. it, I can get into your books. Like I feel like it's right in the middle there. Um, but well, when South- you say that, the craziest thing is I thought my reading audience would stay in the South, but it's in New York. It's uh, California. I did a Zoom with a group in Australia, and it's just wild that you know they're into Southern fiction so much all over the place. That's so neat. That's very fun. Well, I mean, it feels so romantic, honestly, the way you write about it. I mean, I like to read about all all Uh kinds of places in the world because you, when you're in the story, you can kind of visit even if you can't actually visit, right? Yes. But I feel Uh like South Carolina is like a secondary character because you make, you kind of bring it to life all the time. Well, um, someone said that. Uh, Southern fiction, when you're writing a Southern fiction story, your setting is another character as well, because it's, you know, such a rich uh, culture, whether it's food or faith, family dynamics, it really does take on a character. So it was neat that you said that. This was not in my questions. It's just in my head right now. And I hope I'm not about to blow you out of the water by asking this that I maybe shouldn't Uh have asked, but I'm sure you've been asked before. So I have a friend that lives in Charleston. I've been yes. to Charleston. Mm-hmm. I don't know all the little islands. So is Indigo mm-hmm. Isle, is that fictional or is that an actual place? It's fictional. Okay. I assumed it was, but I was like, yeah. oh, I don't know. I could Google map it, I guess. <laughs> well, that's that's a, a fun trick of mine is I, you know, it's, you see, you have Charleston in it is real. Uh, Georgetown's real. We know California's real. Um but I've always, it always, it's always fun to mix in a fictional place. That way I have complete uh, authority of this place. I can, you know, uh, fic, you know, uh, set it however I want. I don't have to fact check. Um, so like my next book, I'm thinking about setting it in Sullivan's Island. And that's a real island off the coast of Charleston. And I'm going to have to get those facts straight. So I can't make, you know, do a whole make-believe on that. That is really fun. The behind the scenes. Yeah. yeah. It definitely makes me want to go to the beach, though. And I am going in a couple <laughs> of weeks, so I'm very excited about that. Oh, yeah. We've already kind of touched on it, but I wanted to talk to you about the research aspect because mm-hmm. you go in depth. I mean, the mental health stuff is fascinating. I loved hearing about that. You also go into depth about like agriculture and random things like that. So indigo farming, <laughs> tobacco yeah. farming, so much so that I didn't know this. So I think you're, you're teaching people things along the way, but that like touching tobacco can make you sick if you get too much of it and things like that. What indigo smells like when it's cooking. How do you research all that stuff? Well, the thing about South Carolina is it is really rich in history, but the older I get, the more I appreciate learning. And so uh, it's almost like something fun that I want to do with the books. I want to learn something new. And but with the tobacco farming, that was my first job at age 12. Um, I worked tobacco to to buy my school clothes and it's still growing all around in fields around me today. Uh, Not as much as it was when I was. uh, I grew up in the 80s. So and then it was funny, but you said about touching it with tobacco sickness. Uh, my editor and my agent want to know if I made that up. I said, no, that's a real thing. It's it's a really bad sickness. And um, But then when indigo, I, I, I knew that we had history about with indigo in the late 1800s in, our, in South Carolina. And then um, I read Indigo Girl 
And that was uh, about Eliza Pickney. And she is credited as bringing indigo into South Carolina in the eight, in the late eight, 1700s, early 1800s, I think. Somewhere around there, a long time ago. And uh, it was actually one of the prominent exports for South Carolina during that time. And the whole uh, idea of do you take this green plant that looks like weeds and it can produce the most beautiful, rich blue pigment is just mind blowing. And so I thought, you know, that would be fun to explore in this book. And uh, it would give this uh, Hudson, our, our leading guy, a reason to be on this island by himself. He could be an indigo farmer. And so I started doing research and I tell people all the time, I have several degrees, a PhD, and a master's. I'm working on a PhD at the time. I go to the University of YouTube and I, <laughs> I'm always learning something. I mean, you can find anything you want to learn about on YouTube. Yes, you can. So, yeah. Well, see, Sunny Bates, she was a location scout and or she is a location scout in the book. And I, I took, you know, there's like lessons and um like um, what do you call TED, not TED Talks, but master classes on location scouting. And all of that taught me what I need to know for her. And so I'm researching Indigo Isle, all about Indigo. And I kind of find out there's actually uh, what they call an Indigo revival in the state of South Carolina, where there are artisans and farmers that are starting to grow the plant again. They actually found it growing wild on Edisto Island. Oh. And yeah, so there's like, you know, original plant that they were able to get seeds from. And um, it's what is it called? Seed sharing, where mm -hmm. you send seeds to different um, farmers. So they're starting to grow it all over the state. And I was able to attend a workshop in Newberry. So we arrived that morning and they took us to a field and it looked like a, a tall field of weeds. Uh, you know, like tall weeds, about six foot tall. And we went out there and we harvested the plant and we took it back to our um, table and we plucked the leaves off. And then we put it in mason jars and we steeped it. We put water in it and steeped it like tea. And um, it, all the way down from the indigo itch, you know, I was out there, I was, uh, uh instructor was talking to us and I started scratching my, my arms. I said, I'm feeling kind of itchy. She said, that's the natural repellent. And the indigo, she said it keeps bugs and even deer out of, off of it. You know, they, it repels them. And it, uh, I don't know if you've ever um, picked okra. Interesting you say that. So I get like rashes all over my arms when I pick squash, tomatoes, and okra. All three. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's what it felt like. That, itch, you know, little stingy itches. That's what um, indigo feels like. Interesting. But, um. Then, you know, we steeped it and it smelled like collard greens. It didn't smell too good. And then that after she gave us a whole history lesson on indigo. And then that afternoon we were able to um, hand dye silk scarves. And I know we're, we're on vid, we're not on video, but I, w I don't have my scarf in here. I'd show it to you. I take it to all the events with me and it's packed up because I have an event coming up. And, um, but what an experience. And I was able to bring all that to the book and had I not you know I was thinking about that even down to the the itch um you know I wouldn't have known to put that in the book had I not experienced it so I'm very blessed that I got to experience that my friends keep saying you need to experience something in Ireland or you need to experience something in Italy and let's go so <laughs> yeah you need to ask them if they're paying 
Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds fun. So I'm interested to know, we've, we've already touched on it. So you may have shared what you wanted to share about it, but there's such a theme of healing and redemption, I think in your books, or I haven't read all 19, but the ones that Mm -hmm. I've read. And I'm just, I mean, I can see that faith is big. It's a big theme. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering how your personal faith influences your writing. Uh, Well, in some ways, um, it's always there. Uh, It's it's wild how my agent, I'll tell her a new story idea. And the first thing she says, well, where's the faith in it? You know, where's your faith element? Because she knows that's what I write. And um, I said, I don't have to shoehorn it in there. God's just going to show up, you know. Um, that's how I feel that, you know, in real life, when you need mm-hmm. him or whatever's going on in your life, you can, you can see God and, um, his work him working in your life. And it's amazing, Jenny, every single time he shows up in these books with Indigo. Um, so my, uh, favorite parable is the prodigal son. And, uh, so this was my Southern take on the prodigal son, the prodigal child. And because I feel like a prodigal child and, um, I tell people, I said, for my inspiration as an author, I get it from the greatest author ever, ever, you know, in this, in the world. And that's Jesus. He knew how to tell these stories to his audience that they could relate to it. Mm-hmm. He knew his audience and he, uh, he never sugarcoated anything either. He told it like it was and, but he told it in ways that they would understand it better. And I think that that's, you know, the whole gift of storytelling is to bring it down to a level where it's like a conversation. And I, I loved that. Um, one of the parts about par- the prodigal son that always catches my attention and it's, you know, it gets my creative juices flowing is how did the two brothers reconcile? You know, mm-hmm. because that the good son, he was not happy about the prodigal son coming back. So this was my opportunity to play that out in Indigo Isle. And it happened where, you know, Sunny, she is the prodigal child. She runs away from home. Fifteen years later, she comes back and she's got to reconcile with her family and, you know, straighten out the mess that she's made. So she has two sisters and her mom. So um, I thought it would be a neat play on it to do all the female dynamics in that situation. And so I always start with prayer when I begin a book. Uh, I want God to lead it. And, you know, it's always God, show me the story you want me to tell and don't let me get in the way of it. And then there's a Bible verse that that come, you know, I'll uh, center around it. But then, you know, I just go in and I start writing. I, I knew I wanted to in, include Indigo, but I never thought it would, you know, the story would um, emerge or merge together, the Indigo and Sunny. And when I got to that, there's a scene where she's talking about Indigo and how, in or, you know, it's a plant and you have to, it looks like a weed, no, you know, nothing special. She felt like she was a weed, nothing special. But then the whole process, you have to tear the leaves apart. You have to, you know, beat and, um, and um, really, you know, get in there and tear these leaves apart. And they just go through so much damage. And she felt her life was, you know, damaged. But then in the end, that process of the indigo, process, uh, it, you know, it produced such a beautiful blue dye. 
and something so beautiful. And life can be that way too. And I got to that scene and I was writing it where she's on her knees in the um, hotel room or motel room. And I just had to sit back and like, oh my goodness, God gave me this, God gave it to me. And, you know, it was just there and it it was never a plan for it to be there. It just showed up and, you know, and that's how God can do. Oh, I have so many thoughts about that and I'm not going to share them all, but I love that. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah, I've been reading Christian fiction since I was, I don't know, young. Um, And there was a point at which I was like, oh, I know these stories backwards and forwards because they always get tied up in a certain way. You know, they're all very neat neat and tidy. (laughs) Um, And as, you know, you go through life and grow and change and see how the world is, everything is not neat and tidy, including the actual Bible, which has some rated X stuff in it. Yes. And then sitting with clients in my office who are telling me their stories, they're Mm -hmm. not neat and tidy. And there's no way that healing is linear. It's just not. It's like up and down and all around. And yet somehow the Lord in his redemptive ways weaves things together and turns them into a story. You don't know where it's headed. But when you look back, Mm -hmm. you're like, look at what you did, Lord. Thank you for that. That's amazing. So I love to hear how, how that works in your writing as well, how you're doing that. The other thing I was thinking about with the parable thing is I used to love the parables just because they were good stories and they are, Mm -hmm. they are, Yeah. but, but the older I get, the more I realize that he left them kind of open-ended, you know, he didn't tie them up. He left people wondering like, huh, what is, you hear about the first prodigal son. Most people don't talk about the second one, but he left on that note. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hmm, There's more there to think about. And I think he was talking to his audience very clearly about that. Which, which son are you? How do they work together? Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. That's cool. Well, that's a, that's another good sign of a, a good storyteller is to leave you wanting more and uh, mm-hmm. make you you know think about it after the fact. Jesus knew what he was doing. <laughs> yes. He is the author, isn't he? Yes. Um. So I'm interested to know just for the fun of it, what do you like to read? What are you reading these days? Or what are your favorite books? I love to read anything by Charles Martin. Mm-hmm. Have you read him? Good have, old Southern. I have Southern read one of his too. books, but I haven't read, I haven't read them all. I need to go back and find some more. Yeah. I've read all but the last one or maybe two. No, last, last two. I'm behind because I've been busy. So I haven't been able to read much. Um, but yeah, I really enjoy him. I enjoy Francine Rivers. I enjoy uh Sarah Addison Allen she's another southern writer from Asheville North Carolina I write I I read all over right now and it's um it's I don't read a lot of nonfiction, but sometimes I love I love other people's stories and so this book that I'm about to start writing I wanted to read um someone else's story on it you know in real life and how they dealt with it and it led me to reading it. It was called Save Me From Myself. And it was the story of Brian Welch. And if you don't know who he is, he's the lead guitarist of the heavy metal band Corn. And it's his journey of uh, coming to know God. The Bible, like you said, did not sugarcoat. There's, no. you know, uh, people all, uh, they, they say, uh, oh, aren't, you know, Christian fiction is, should be, you know, very in this bubble I'm like but why the Bible wasn't I'm gonna I'm gonna write like the Bible I'm gonna tell it you know sometimes it's gritty but um 
So it's, it was a very gritty story. And, uh, but it really opened my eyes to some things that I needed to be more aware of when I go to write my story. That's cool. I am a big fan of biographies. I like to hear people tell their own stories. I like to read them because I mean, those are, those are real. Like, yeah. They're stories that people actually lived. So, mm-hmm. and a lot of people have things that we can learn from for sure. Yes. Okay, so on my podcast, I talk a lot about soul care, which uh-huh. is self-care, but like all the parts of the self, including like our spiritual lives, our mental lives, our physical lives, all of the above. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that listen, I don't know, I think a lot of different kinds of people listen to my podcast, but a lot of women mm-hmm. trying to take care of themselves. I think a lot of moms yeah, trying to trying to handle the whole world and themselves, trying to figure out how to balance it all. You obviously have a very busy life as well and still a daughter at home and you're doing book tours and all kinds of stuff. So I'm interested to know these days, what are some ways that you're taking care of yourself or that you're practicing soul care? What does that look like for you? Oh, gracious. Um, It's always been my biggest thing, um, even going back to being a stay-at-home mom. um, we made sacrifices that stay at home. So there was no budget to travel. There was no, you know, for vacations and such, but I always, and, and still do like if, um, things are real hectic uh, and I need to just, uh, take a step back from it. I'll read and it, and it might not, it might be a, a fluffy romantic comedy. It might be a, you know, really, uh, difficult, uh, autobiography, like we talked about, um, but that's my escape is to escape into a, I tell people all the time, if you can't afford to go somewhere, you, you can go somewhere in a, in your imagination with a book and a book does something that TV cannot do. You have to invest in a, in reading, uh, you know, I can watch my mindless TV is HGTV and the food network and the discovery channel. I can cut those on and pay them no attention. It's like background noise, but reading you have to invest in that and um, that's always my my go-to my go-to uh thing to do when I need a a break from everything I love that my mom was that way and I have definitely taken that I mean I'm the same way and now I have a child or two who is also the same way oh yeah yeah like I can it's hard though to be interrupted because once I'm in it I'm in it so I have Mm -hmm. to be careful about that but Yes. Yes. I love a good book. That's sort of like me um, with writing. I don't write during the summer because, you know, I went into this writing where Nathan was about, he was, he had one more year. No, he was going into middle school and Lydia was kindergarten when I finally began writing. And uh, they didn't understand that all of a sudden mom had a job. So uh, the the rule from uh, from the get go is I, I don't write during the summer because when I do start writing, I'm in it and I, I can't get out of that that world until I have that book finished. Um, it was back in the spring I was wrapping up my next book and I I got out of my office at the end of the day and Lydia asked me something and I was just like a deer in headlights. She's oh my gosh, she's still in the book world. Don't talk to Mama right now. <laughs> That's really funny. Not even the same thing. It's not the same thing, but a little bit. I understand that because um, when I started my podcast, I was homeschooling uh-huh. and I remember oh, wow. some, my, some of my kids being like, oh, mom, this whole PRN thing. I don't even know what that's about because I was getting I was really excited and yeah. editing and all this stuff. Now I try to do it when they're in school. So I take the summers off 
because I can't really focus on both very well. So no, mm-hmm. one thing it's at a time. I think it's funny um, when you talk about how you were starting your podcast and they didn't understand it and they weren't 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 really into it. They'll keep you humble, won't they? Yes. Um, there something big happened, like maybe the Indigo hit uh, a bestsellers list, or it was. I can't remember the news I, I told Lydia that one night in the beginning of the summer, and um, she said, "Yeah, that's great. What's for supper?" that's right that's that is exactly right now my husband designs computer games and so that is actually yeah that is actually cool like he gets some props for that they they do think that that's cool they think that's cool (laughs) yeah I don't think mamas can be cool at no matter what not no (laughs) no maybe when they grow up so if people want to go and find your stuff, I mean, I think it's pretty accessible, but do you have specific mm-hmm. places that they should go to learn more about you or to find your books? Yeah, I have a, a website, tilo.com. Easy peasy, right? Um, I And then there's all the books are there. It shows there's a newsletter you can sign up for, and I send that out once a month. And I like to um, give ac- access on just my newsletter for like special giveaways. Um, last month, and I think I'm going to leave it in this month too, maybe for a few months, is so in the book Indigo Isle, there's a few journal entries from Hudson, and um, they all didn't make it into the book. And so in my newsletter, I've been given a link. You can go back and read more of his journal entries. So there's always little things that uh, are is in there that you won't find on social media. So it's just, it, you know, there will be a pop-up window if, if people would like to join that. And it's just like once a month. And so that's um, one way. I love Instagram. I'm a short and sweet kind of girl. I don't um, have a lot of time, but I like to catch up with people that I know or, you know, I'm interested in. And with Indigo Isle, you know, or Indigo Isle, oh my goodness, Instagram, it's just a, a picture and then a, a small caption, it, you know, sometimes on some of the other social medias, it can be like a whole book. And I, I don't have time to read that. You know, we're busy moms, busy with life. And so I do a lot on Instagram, but I'm on all the social platforms for sure. And wherever books are sold, you can find my books. Awesome. Well, I will link to your website and your Instagram handle in today's show notes. I just really appreciate getting to talk to you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed it. Is there anything you wanted to share that I didn't give you a chance to? No, I think that that's good. Okay. <laughs> Wait, we can come back and, and talk more next year when my next book comes out. Okay, you know I'm you know I'm all about that. It's gonna be called it's gonna be called Low Country Loss and it's about a ghost oh, town in South Carolina. That's a cliffhanger. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna have our yeah. eyes open for that. Yeah. That's exciting. Thanks again, Tanya, for being on today's podcast episode. I so enjoy getting to talk to you. And yes, girl, I would love to talk to you about your next book. And also, of course, to read it. Friends, if you would like to know more about T.I. Lowe, I will link to her website in today's episode. And I hope that you will go find her on Instagram. She is a great follow. You know, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook as well at Pause Renew Next. I would love for you to find me there. I do talk about episodes. I talk about upcoming episodes. Sometimes I give mental health tips or soul care practices. So I hope that you'll find me there if you're not already following. 
And if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, you can find the Pause Renew Next podcast on almost any podcast app. And finally, guys, as we're starting a new season, I just want to send out a call to action. If you love this podcast, would you please share with your friends? You can do that by word of mouth. That's my favorite. You can always share via social media. You can go out and give a rating and review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. All of those things help new friends find this podcast. I hope you'll meet me back here next Tuesday for the next episode of our Tell Your Story season. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus. Jesus.